Tonight I am joined by the very funny, very talented Emma Ashley King, well known amongst the group of us on the south coast who do all the gigs around Pompey area. Um, how many of you know that she originally come from London and learned, had a year up in London learning her craft and loads more we went through tonight so I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Em. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Perfect. Loud and clear. Wonderful. How you been? You okay? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad now. Things are starting to get back to normal, but still quite glad that I'm working from home. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice, isn't it, the working from home? I think that's probably the best thing that's come out of this whole like pandemic issue. Yeah, definitely. The the working from home and having like a cheeky drink on your lunch break. Yeah, that's quite nice. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't thinking about the alcohol side of it. It's all a convenience to stay at home. But now you mention it, the alcohol is pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) No one judging you because you've got alcohol in your breath at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Like no judgment. You know, everyone else is doing it. You know, they're sat on the Zoom calls looking all smart on the top half, bottom half. They're just in their pants. You know, it's great. (laughs) Yeah, we're all putting vodka in our cornflakes at that time in the morning, so nobody knows any different. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, with yourself, obviously I know you a little bit anyway, because we've, we've done loads of gigs together and, and spoken loads. So um, I am aware that obviously you were looking or just had started this new job just before lockdown, possibly. Is that right? Yeah, I um, started my current job three weeks before I was working from home. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, fun. But a bit challenging, but actually it's, it's been okay. Yeah, I guess starting in a new place where you're still trying to get to know people and things and then you take away all that interpersonal aspects when it's all sort of Zoom calls, don't you? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it took a little while to get used to it. Um, but I think, I think we're there now. Yeah, that's good. And then, so for yourself, so I remember the first time I saw you perform, which was down at the Dolphin in Pompey, run by PM Promotions, our friends. And um, you got up and you were doing like a normal um, sort of, you started off with like some jokes and like a normal stand-up, what I'm trying to say. And then... You then said, oh, I'm going to hand out some props because I'm doing some preparation for my Fringe show. And everyone's like, oh, this is fun, getting some props. And you sent out masks. We're all in masks. Yes. <laughs> and then you did, and then you did, it's just my favourite memory of you, Ems, just what I'm reminiscing now. And then you did, you said, oh, I also do burlesque, but it's shoe burlesque. <laughs> and then you did this, you had the, like, music going on and we're all like you know it was mainly men in the crowd we're all like here we go this is going to be interesting and then you just (laughs) just put on different put on different shoes and footwear and then like uh with that you're like zipping up and down (laughs) like showing a bit of ankle and then like you took it off um and then you you told a bit of fan fiction which is my absolute favorite bit that you do and so that was my introduction to Emma Ashley King. It's not a bad introduction, is it? It's not bad at all, does it? Like, for anybody that doesn't know you, they must be sat there thinking, fucking hell, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I think that, that's kind of what I try and go for. I like doing the, I really like doing comedy with a few puns and the storytelling um, and, you know, just being myself. But I also enjoy essentially playing the clown. Um, yeah. I like doing stuff that's kind of really just silly, that's fun. Because um, I'm a big fan of, I mean, I love com- comedy, but I love cabaret as well. So jazz, burlesque, drag, every, you know, different kinds of music and dance. So I think it's quite interesting with comedy to try and pull some of that into it, I suppose. And um, yeah, I like to think it makes uh, makes people laugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, it definitely might, for anybody that's listening and thinking that sounds interesting, it definitely is. Like you've got to watch it in in person. It's brilliant. Um, so I think 
one of the first questions I would have is to watch that. That seemed to me, obviously, as a new performer at the time, and I was like, that takes some balls to do that. She must be quite experienced. I bet she's been doing that a while just to come up with that sort of idea and then have the, the nerves to just crack on and do it. So how how did you get to that point? Where have you started, Ems? How did you first get into comedy? Um, I was working in London um, doing some acting uh, for a bank. The job was really stressful. Um, and a part of it was I'd be listening to podcasts a lot. So I listened to Rod Gilbert's Best Bits podcast. Um, okay. And uh, I want to say Stuart Goldsmith. Stuart Goldsmith. I'm getting this wrong, aren't I? Adam Gold. No, Stuart. Anyway, one of them. And Adam <laughs> Buxton. Sorry, this is where I'm getting confused. Like a few comedy podcasts I would listen to. Um, and then a few audiobooks from various comedians. Um, and it's something that I... I really liked performing as a kid. So I did all the, you know, theater and like putting on little shows for my family. And I used to love telling jokes and doing magic. Okay. Magic tricks. So I guess I was thinking about reminiscing about that and listening to all this stuff to do with comedy in a job that was quite stressful. And I just researched, how do you get into comedy? Um, And I saw there were some comedy courses, especially working in London. And I decided to enroll on a 10-week comedy course uh, run by Logan Murray, um, which is the same course, actually, that I believe Rod Gilbert went on, um, as well as uh, several other quite well-known comedians. And I thought, you know, if I love this, excellent. And if it's not for me, at least I know I'll make some friends and it should help a bit with, like, public speaking. So, yeah, I did that. I started that course over five years ago now. and I did my first gig. It was kind of like my five-year anniversary last month in July. Okay. So, yeah, it was kind of starting small, um, but I knew from quite an early stage that I wanted to do more character comedy um, and more of the cabaret bits into it. But it has taken quite a few years and gigs in different places to get to the point where I felt I had that confidence. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So where's the first gig? Did you do that up in London? Were you living in London or were you just working up there? Um, I was living in Dorking in Surrey and working in London. So, yeah, my first gig was in London in a pub. I've forgotten the name of it now. That's terrible, isn't it? (laughs) Not too far from Waterloo. Um, I think the pub actually closed down. Um, Shortly after your performance? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well the, no no what was it called oh um what's the station along from waterloo because um, i'm gonna i'm gonna try and remind myself of what it was called i'm determined i'm gonna find this in like three seconds <laughs> no no oh. and i've just closed my laptop and all but no no idea no it's all good um <laughs> If I, if I find it in a second, I'll, I'll let you know what it was. Um, but I know the name of the pub. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, but, yeah, I think it closed down or it was taken over by new owners. But, anyway, it was a lovely club, um, a lovely pub, and it was the pub where we in the course. Oh, okay. So it was really nice to perform there. Um, yeah, that was my first gig, and it was really very busy. Um, and I, I just loved it from that second, that first five minutes I performed. I knew I wanted to do it again and again. Yeah. Yeah, caught the bug. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'd never... Um, I had never understood that phrase before about catching the bug. And the only other thing that I'd done as a sort of hobby was play football. And I loved playing football. Play football every week. Play football every minute I possibly could. Yeah. Um, but nothing had ever, nothing has ever captured my interest since. And comedy has been that that only thing where I've sort of done it and then been like, yeah, I'm hooked. I am definitely doing this as much as I possibly can now. Yeah. It's a, it is an odd feeling. It's an odd sensation, isn't it? To sort of have that, right, I'm done. I'm hooked. This is it. Yeah. I think it's, for me, I think there's a few reasons for it. I think it's, like, you hear a lot of comedians going like our comedy therapy but it is and I think so for me part of it is that um, and part of it is like when I was a kid I I really wanted to be 
a vet or a volcanologist or like something sciencey where I could help people. And I never did that. Um, but I think that a lot of creative people and performers also help people um, by making them laugh, by making them smile when they've had a bad day. So having that impact on people as well. And I've, I've done gigs in London where I've had people come up to me afterwards um, and like thank me and and that's really rewarding um, and also just I think a lot of comedians we're all a little bit narcissistic and it's quite nice you know having people looking at you and laughing <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and just quickly what was a volcanologist oh uh it's uh it was somebody who studies volcanoes oh I was trying to think off the top of my head of a of a Star Trek joke I could have done really quickly about the Vulcans and then yeah, I couldn't. I wasn't. I wasn't that quick. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's all I can. I couldn't get it out of my head. I was thinking, is it a Star Trek thing? Are you making it? Because obviously, I know you and your fan fiction and that sort of stuff. I was like, well, I don't know if she's being serious. <laughs> I need to clarify what that is. <laughs> so I do like the fact that you think studying volcanoes helps people. Do you, are you, do you mean that in the sense of like you can tip it when it's going to blow and save people? Yeah. That's oh. that's more what I what I mean. What any any kind of anything like that uh, with geology and studying earthquakes and volcanoes. Yeah, being able to protect protect villi- uh, villages. I can't speak today. I haven't even <laughs> had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so now comedy is your way of saving people. I like that. Yeah, I guess you know without trying to sound like a oh, I can't think of the word. Not like a say like having some sort of but it's just nice it's just nice to help people and and let people know that they're not alone so I talk a lot about mental health um when I'm not doing the shoe burlesque and the the kind of sillier fan fiction fandom (laughs) stuff I do talk about mental health quite a lot um, and some of it is very personal it's quite dark and there's moments where people don't really know if they're allowed to laugh and of course they can that's but you know I wouldn't be saying it if they couldn't but just that yeah, letting people know that they're not alone, I think, is is really nice. Hmm. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, and there aren't. I mean, there are, there are comedians out there who do stuff on mental health in terms of more sort of autistic spectral traits, isn't it, on the spectrum mm. and things like that. But there's not many that actually talk about the mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide. There's not many that really touch on that or can do it very well either. Is there? No, I mean, I have seen, I've seen people who do it well, and there are people who do it, but I think it's a difficult, some people don't want to talk about it, which is absolutely, obviously, we've all got our own ways of coping with it. For me, I've always been quite vocal, um, and that's what helps me. But there is sometimes a fine line. I mean, I've, I've done a few, I've done a few jokes in the past where, Oh yeah, it, it wasn't just that the audience didn't know if they could laugh. It was really uncomfortable, and I did think, <laughs> oh my god, maybe I shouldn't have. I mean, I thought it was hilarious, um, and it it was something that a genuine thought that I'd had, and something that had actually happened to to someone in my family. So it wasn't like I was making up something horrible, but it did. Um, yeah, the audience were, weren't um, they were not on board for that. A bit too. and so um and so that's five years ago you do your first gig you're hooked and then are you are you then just going around london and doing various spots around london what's the sort of next phase of of your life after that it was yeah going going around london um really and doing the the london open mic scene which i'm quite glad not to be in anymore um there's okay f- what's that well there's some really good gigs in london that i would absolutely recommend um that people do and there's some fantastic comedians as well um but there's a lot of gigs that appear and within a year they've disappeared because you really are just performing to other comedians um there's mm-hmm. a lot of gigs where you can be traveling all across london for 5 minutes and it is just comedians um, or the night gets cancelled because not enough people had turned up. And it's it's difficult. I think London's very saturated with comics, which is great because there's loads of gigs. But 
there's a lot of really big highs and really big lows and I think when I was doing London what I would try and do is book a gig that I knew I loved um, and which would be busy and then try a different new gig or one of the quieter ones the next time so that I would have a balance it's really great gigs but then also the ones that were a bit ugh, <laughs> a bit meh <laughs> and it's and it is difficult as well you you come across um I've noticed London more than anywhere comics who again lovely I've made some really nice friends um but there's some who are very arrogant and a lot of um a phrase I think I used to use a lot was circle jerk there's a lot of that going on as well Nice. But again, some really great, great London and some really lovely promoters too. So that wouldn't, that's not me saying that all of London is awful because it's not. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I mean, while we're on this subject or, or sort of touched on that subject, um, you know, we're all members of the various different comedy groups and stuff on Facebook uh, and the forums and all this various stuff. Now, as a female who's been in, comedy for five years um i've spoken to a few different uh, sort of comics female comics over the last couple of weeks and you've probably had the most experience so hopefully you'll maybe you'll have a different perspective but there's been a lot of the um uh, a lot of the sort of the me too movement reaching into comedy now and mm-hmm. there's been a lot of calling out um and, and standing out which is which is great which is obviously should be happening yeah um what's sort of your experience of how you've been treated obviously you know london's the epicenter of you know it's the capital there's a big thing and then i've obviously gigged with you around at the south coast is there a big difference between the two um, areas and have you sort of what's been your experience overall um i i've had some really bad experiences um I think it, it happens everywhere um I wouldn't like to say it was just one area obviously London where there are so many gigs and where I was gigging more I'd come across stuff more frequently but it, it has happened down here in the south too and sometimes it, it's small things that I think maybe people don't realize they're doing it but they just need to think before they speak which is you know a great lesson in life anyway <laughs> yeah, to, yeah to learn and to kind of I'm all about respect, I think. Um, and I have come across some people who I don't necessarily think respect others or listen to what they have to say and kind of talk over them. Um, but in regards to the Me Too movement, I, I do sometimes worry that that is, uh, because as a woman, that does happen, um, especially when you're at gigs where it is just men that it can become, you can feel quite small and it doesn't always take much for you to be talking and someone to talk over you for you to kind of go, oh, fuck this, I can't be bothered and just not, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, get it's that. not, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, the, the good thing I think with, with this podcast, I know we, we've had a laugh when talking about happy things, it's good to talk about both sides of it or all sides of it. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there have been a few things more recently. I appreciate, I mean, I, I actually think that the break we've kind of all had because of coronavirus has probably been a good thing, um, especially as more of the Me Too stuff came out during it. I think it's given everyone time to reflect mm. um, and yeah. think about either their experiences or their actions or what we can do going forward to make gigs safer and more comfortable for everyone. I mean... With comedy, I do think technically no topic should be off limits. But for me, it's always about context and delivery. And is it actually funny <laughs> as well? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I also, sort of this is going off on a bit of a tangent now, but I also tend to think if you're going to make fun of the audience or make fun of people, your audience has to trust you first. And a part of that is taking the mick out of yourself first. And then they kind of know that you're on board. And I think in London especially I, I went to gigs where there was none of that it would just be ripping into to people or a lot of very dated jokes about women just yeah I mean sometimes something can be offensive or mildly offensive but at least there's context or at least it's funny and makes people laugh but if it's just shit then it's 
it's just a bit shit. Um, sorry, I'm waffling on now with this question. No, no, <laughs> so... not at all. Exactly, you know, it, that's your point. This is this is your podcast to say as you want and how long you want to say it for. So don't apologise for waffling. You carry on. I, w- I will. Can I can I quickly tell you about one experience in London? Because I don't. Again, yeah. if, if people people listening to this, I don't know if there's women who've had similar experiences or just. As an example for men listening, the kind of things that, you know, we, we've had to go through is in London, I did have an act follow me after a gig, follow me down the tube station, follow me on the carriage, um, oh. kept looking at me, like being really, I ended up like walking away like a crab, like sidestepping, trying to stealthily move up the platform to get away from them. Um, wow. And there was another act who during his before his act is five ten minutes um came over to me and started basically making fun of me in front of everyone and trying to force feed me donuts wow and making comments about how i looked like i liked my food and basically would i sleep with him and he'd buy me more donuts and after at the time i did that because i awkward laugh a lot i mean the day my dad told me my mum died i laughed because i will laugh when things are awkward (laughs) and afterwards I just had a bit of a I had well I say a bit of a cry I did cry quite a lot because I just thought how dare you treat anyone like that um let alone the fact mm. that I'm an act but you know you you wouldn't speak to anyone like that so I don't know I think that some of this is is an older generation of comedy which I think is hopefully dying out or hopefully people are taking a long hard look at themselves in the mirror and going oh that actually wasn't particularly funny yeah yeah, I think um, what I like about doing these podcasts, and I, you know, I ask these questions, I've asked these questions of the, the sort of female comments, because I know there must be, you know, people treating you differently to how they treat me. Um, you know, for anyone that, that, has, that doesn't know what I look like, you know, I'm a big, bold, tattooed fella, you know, I, I'm loud and all that sort of stuff. So I don't necessarily um, fall under that sort of. I don't get bullied or pushed around very easy. People, I'm not an easy target, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, therefore, I don't really have a very good understanding of what it must be like for for women, especially, but you know, but for maybe smaller or more softly spoken men as well, um, who you know can easily be sort of talked over or trampled or not thought about. And and I try to look back at my own behavior and think have I done stuff like that but not meaning to be a dick but have I been a dick by accident and I do like to think that hopefully people listen to stories like that and go Jesus that's fucking awful Mm. have I ever done that I think I might have done that and therefore I'm not doing that again because then I can now understand how that's made somebody feel yeah does that make sense that does and you know that's really refreshing and nice to hear because I, I think it's more important rather than saying, look, anyone who's ever said this or acted like this, where I don't really want to get onto the whole cancel culture thing because we could be here for hours. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah. But this whole like, oh, they've done this this once, so Sodom, you know, they're an <laughs> awful person. Well, something that person said may have been bloody awful and made someone feel horrendous, but we all grow, we're all constantly educating ourselves, growing, doing better. And if, like you've just said, you can hear these stories and go, oh, crap, have I done that or said something similar or made someone like that? Yep. And then if you can go, oh, OK, I've learned from this, I'm I'm learning and I'll make sure not to do it again, then that's fantastic. That's far better than people going, no, Sodom, not interested going forward. It's actually, I think it's a really positive thing. Um, yeah, so that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, and and I personally think that that self-education or just education in general and rehabilitation is important you can't just you know again people look back at old tv programs and stuff like we had that whole thing about um what was it i think it was faulty towers or something something got removed and it was from like you know back in the day um you know 30 40 years ago when when it was a different world and it's people looking at that with with today's um perspective and going well that, that was terrible and it, yeah it is it's is terrible but removing it doesn't show what the times were like then so people can't watch it and then go oh my god that's terrible you know you sort of take it away and you, you remove any chance of education 
yeah. or any chance of people understanding. Yeah, I did read, I mean, I can't remember who it was, but I did read an article that was talking about how much stuff at the moment is deleted, removed or rewritten so that it's almost rewriting white history to make it look like we're perfect and exactly. we've ne- that there's no issues with racism and things. And I think, well, actually, it, that's doing more harm than good. Yeah, um, yeah. The way you put that is... Is so much better than the way I was trying to put it. No, I, I get. No, I got what you were saying completely. Because I think things should, you know, if things are going to upset people, then short have obviously have warnings on them. And there's a few mm. things which have been removed where I am like, do you know what? Actually, yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. <laughs> there's one or two things <laughs> which maybe have gone too far, but in the main, I don't see the point in rewriting books because that's happened a lot as well with books that were written sort of a hundred years ago and the new versions are printed with completely updated language but you just again that that's making it out that that we've always been perfect and yeah that yeah doesn't help anyone isn't it um is it like mark twain huckleberry finn there's there's the reference to obviously the n-word and things that had quite regularity and there's like versions of that that have come out where it's removed and therefore, people aren't seeing the original sort of written in the context of the times and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's I mean, at the same time, I, I do also realise that when I talk about this, if I'm talking about um, women or sexuality and stuff, then I can very much comment. Yeah. But I know when I'm when we're talking about race, I know that I'm obviously white. We're not talking from a position yeah. of. Uh, yeah. And I have yeah. that that privilege. So I don't necessarily I, I couldn't speak for someone else, but that's personally how I, how I feel about it across the spectrum. So not just in terms of race, but yeah, gender, sex, class, you know, um, everything. Yeah. yeah, changing the language doesn't doesn't help. But sort of going on to the, the sexism type of thing, there's been what I found quite interesting. And again, you know, I'm, I'm a white male, so I'm not really, you know, again, talking from any position of understanding, but I've seen on these forums where there's been women that have gone yeah this is terrible that was terrible and then there's been other women that's gone well not really you know i'm not i've experienced that but i didn't let that be i didn't think of it the same way you're thinking of it so there's even a difference in the there's not that sort of one size fits all type of thing isn't it like one woman's opinion differs from another woman's opinion and and there's all sorts of different uh perspectives on it even just from an outsider looking yeah and you know that's something that i've learned I think over the last few years not because of my comedy but actually because of fandom and fan fiction so there's a bit of a problem with fan fiction where if you're somebody who writes it a lot um I mean generally speaking write whatever the fuck you want essentially but there's an issue where if you let's say you're a straight person and you write in your fan fiction about two characters being in a homosexual relationship where you write about gay characters then mm-hmm. you'll get people who are gay or who are part of the lgbtq plus community loving it and supporting and going oh thank you for writing about this but you might also get people in that community going you're straight you shouldn't be writing about this so then the mm. writer doesn't write about it and then those people go thank you for not writing about it and then the other people go why aren't you writing about it? But this happens. I mean, that, that's a very basic example, but it could happen when writing about anyone that isn't, isn't like yourself and try and realising, um, which, which was I found quite difficult at first, is that you're never going to please everyone. Mm. All you can do, yeah. and this actually comes back to comedy, though. I think all you can do is kind of be truthful to yourself and do what you want to do and what works best for you. Be yourself. Yeah, obviously within reason without being yeah. offensive or trying to upset people and I think with writing and with comedy it is about that being a bit sensitive and or sensitive to other people rather so with comedy that would come back to the context of a joke if you joke about something that you've been through or your family's been affected by then I, I never really see the problem with that. Whereas if you're just taking the mick out of people who are different for you just for the sake of it, then there's a bit of an issue. It's, it's just how you handle a topic, I think. Yeah, yeah, with fan fiction, I came across that that whole, you can't please everyone, but you, all you can do is your best to just 
be respectful um and just be creative creative types will always have a have a backlash from people and uh i think it's in comedy obviously we, we've seen a lot of that but yeah yeah there's there's very much a thing about finding your audience isn't there and you're so the the sort of jokes you can tell in front of one crowd could die on her ass the jokes the same jokes in another crowd at another venue could be the funniest thing they've heard and it's, it's very difficult if you are a sort of shock comedian can you imagine if you're like a frankie boyle yeah. when frankie boyle's starting out frankie boyle isn't starting out like the frankie boyle you know and love now frankie boyle's now got his own audience that follows him and he's able to play up to that and be frankie boyle but he wouldn't have got away with a lot of that stuff in some of the places where we've gigs, for example, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it is about finding the audience. Cause I, I mean, I can do some of my stuff in front of one audience and everyone's laughing and then I've done it to a slightly older or posher audience. Um, <laughs> oh, it does not go down. <laughs> it just, but I sort of refuse to change who I am as long as again, yeah. I'm not attacking anyone or, or you know, trying yeah. to upset anyone. I'll still talk about my tattoos or alcohol or, yeah, my experiences, because um, I just think maybe they'll learn something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now you're, because we've touched on it, the fan fiction. Can you just, for anybody that might listen and not, and not understand what fan fiction is, because I didn't know what fan fiction or maybe how big fan fiction was until I'd spoken to you and, and, and had understood some of your stuff, where your fan fiction comes from. And then I sort of looked it up a little bit. But do you want to go into just what, because I'll tell you what my idea of fan fiction was before I heard you talk about it. My idea of fan fiction was when fans online would like email concept ideas to the author. And I thought that was them. That was the fans fiction or whatever going in. I hadn't realized how much it was. So if you give us an idea or, or if you can explain what fan fiction is and see how different it is to what I thought it was. Yeah, um, so it's it's been around for a long time. I think in popular or modern culture, people think of it starting with sort of Star Trek fans. But if you kind of look back at the history of it, people were kind of writing fan fiction 100, 200 years ago. It's basically where fans of a, a certain TV show, movie, books, you know, whatever it is, they, they love the thing so much that when it's over, they want more and they want to explore the world and the characters more. So they go away and they write their own stories or headcanons, which are like thoughts you have about the character. Um, and sometimes they're, they're short, you know, 1,000, 2,000 words, but sometimes they can be like 56 chapters um, and like a full novel size. And they post them on the internet on two main sites are fanfiction.net and archive of our own and people come along and, and read them leave comments like them um and it's it is massive um there's there's some really bad ones like velocigina like i read in my uh in my comedy i didn't i wasn't gonna bring that up in case i sort of ruined part of your set but that is my absolute favorite story <laughs> yeah there's some there's some really famous ones that are awful or you know just really repulsive um, but there's a, there's a lot of nice there's a lot of nice ones too. But there is also what I refer to as the grey area, and the grey area. <laughs> this is the bit where people write about real life people. Oh, okay. I, I do not like this. I I don't or would never want to shame anyone or make them feel uncomfortable. But writing about two actors, you know, real life people having sex, I just find it a bit weird. Um, so it's like the made up story. Jude Law and Russell Crowe just blowing each other. Yeah, th yeah, that's the kind of stuff that that you find. And the worst, worst thing that people do with this is at conventions when they ask actors about it. Oh, about the fan fiction stories. Yeah, or um, ship. So you know what shipping is? No, is it a sexual act? No, it's oh. so shipping is like. So if you're talking about the X Files, you could say, "Oh, I ship." Mulder with Scully, which means you uh, you imagine that they are a couple, they are a pair. If you ship two people, oh, like relationship, yeah, you put basically, together. yeah, uh, you you right. kind of 
you imagine that they're in a relationship or you wish they were in a relationship and you think they'd be cute together. But at conventions, you do have people putting up their hand and asking actors whether they like a certain ship and that often involves their character with another. And you never see a room go more uncomfortable than that. (laughs) I'm starting to question myself as to why I picked out the names Jude Law and Russell Crowe. And then why I've had them blowing each other. I couldn't. I don't know why I didn't go for females. I don't know why I've picked those two names out doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I don't I don't know why you <laughs> why you've done that. You've obviously got them on the on the brain. Yeah, there's there's some psychoanalysis I need to do on myself as <laughs> to why I'm wondering about these things. <laughs> but um yeah, I can imagine that's well uncomfortable. But you're uh the like, every time we've done every time since I've heard that philosophy just the word Velocigina is just perfect. It just makes me laugh. It's just so good. But the story around your Velocigina like bit is just yeah, it's put it's like for me, every time I've seen it, I'm like, are you doing that bit? <laughs> just like we just slip it in, just that little bit for me. I think it's brilliant. I think I need to read more of the story though, because I only read the a very small part of it. So I might have to start doing the dramatic reading of um a few minutes worth. That would be so good. That Just and uh, fiction readings. Lara Croft on Cannibal Island, but even <laughs> yeah. I can't bring myself to read that one out loud. That one's even worse. But I might have to really. Read. Oh God, yeah, I can just imagine. I like. I, I will start to have a look into it a bit more. But yeah, I, I, that was the first time having heard you talking about that. That really did make me. It really tickle me. <laughs> So we've got, so you're not in London now. Where are you now? Portsmouth. So how do you go from London or from Dorking, working in London? How do you end up in Portsmouth? Are you married up in London? No, I was, so my husband and I met at university in Lancaster. And we moved, after living in Manchester for a few years, we moved to London because I wanted to be closer to family and home. And I got a okay. job in London, but then I was made redundant. Um, we we all, everyone I worked with, we all lost our jobs, which actually a really funny, well, I say a funny story. A guy I worked with in London, he, a few weeks before we found out we were being made redundant, he had to go to Leeds to train um, some new starters. And when he got back to London, he found out all the people who he'd just been training had taken our jobs so he literally lost his job to the people he'd just trained oh (laughs) wow um but I lost my job and I saw that as a good time to try and actually move back to Portsmouth or you know as close to family and where we wanted to settle um so so yeah we came back to Portsmouth so were you born and raised in Pompey I was born in Chichester okay but the first place I lived was Bognor Nice. And then my dad got a job. Well, my dad's job meant we relocated to the Channel Islands. Oh, okay. For like four years. And then when we came back, we lived in Clamfield. And then we lived in Leon Solent. But I always refer to Portsmouth as my home because that is my dad, granddad, great granddad. But that was our football team. Ah, right. Because Portsmouth really has been the biggest I know technically Chichester's a city but Portsmouth has always been like the biggest city that's been closest to wherever I've lived and my grandparents are kind of from here so it's just a lot easier to tell people I'm from Portsmouth yeah thereabouts (laughs) yeah yeah I think um it's sort of very similar to me I've lived sort of all over the place for like a number of years because your accent isn't very pompy. You don't have that sort of farmerish pompy twang. Um, you can sort of hear a few different locations in your accent. Well, very well spoken. Obviously, it ends very, you know, great, great diction the way it comes out. But you don't have that farmerish twang that a lot of pompy people do. And I'm from Southampton and we have that. But um, I've also, I lived in Leeds as well. So you have that sort of weird northern thing that drops into your accent now and again. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I especially because my husband's from Manchester, so right. because I'm around him, I've noticed I say bastard a lot instead of bastard, 
and sometimes I say bath instead. I always say bath, and then very occasionally it comes out as bath. So yeah, yeah. there's the odd word that comes out northern. Yeah, I'm I'm a grass glass bath. That's how I say it. It all comes out funny. Do you have? This is the big test at twelve o'clock, twelve p.m. What do you call that time for when you're eating? Oh, oh, no. do you know what, though? This is the problem. I change what I say. Normally, I say lunch. Yeah. And that's that's that. Um, yeah, no, I think actually, no, I think I do, generally speaking, refer to it as lunch. Uh, see, I'm a dinner. Oh. I have my dinner. And then it's tea in the evening or supper. Oh, and I see it's dinner in the evening. But I think the reason I don't use tea is because... When my mum was still alive, after dinner, she'd quite often do us like something very small, then she'd call it tea with a drink before we yeah. went to bed. So we'd have like a little bit of cake, or my favourite was a bowl of grated cheese. <laughs> but my mum would sometimes make us something, and that was tea. <laughs> Hang on, you skipped over that well quick. You just had a bowl of grated cheese. Oh, yeah. Cheese. A bowl of grated cheese is just like a meal of the, the gods. So I say a meal, it's the snack of the gods. Did nobody ever tell your mum about giving kids cheese before bed? Gives you nightmares. Everyone knows that. Oh, I had nightmares anyway. Like I, I've always had. I do suffer really badly with nightmares. Um, but I, apparently, that has nothing to do with cheese. I did some <laughs> research, and apparently, cheese has got nothing to do with it. It's generally you just eat before bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, I always had night terrors growing up, and I, um. I've trashed my bedroom and like uh, landing and stuff in our house. My mum was like, right, no more. She used to have like a bit of cheese on toast or whatever. Yeah. Like, no more cheese. I was given no cheese. It didn't stop the night terrors, but somehow the, the no cheese rule after 5 p.m. stuck. Yeah, night terrors. Oh, so you get night terrors too. That's interesting what you did. I um, yeah. I do want to do some comedy, maybe even a whole show on night terrors. Oh and God! Because yeah. I get um, well, I have the the nightmares and night terrors, but I also have sleep paralysis, and oh, the worst exploding head syndrome, and they are. Oh wait, what's exploding head syndrome? Um, so it's where you quite often it comes hand in hand with sleep paralysis, but not always, and it's where okay. you you're kind of half awake, half still dreaming. And you can hear sounds and it, it kind of sounds like you're in the womb. And so it's yeah. kind of peaceful. It kind of sounds like a under the sea, heartbeat, dolphin, kind of white noise sound. And for a few okay. minutes, it's super peaceful. And then it starts to get louder. And it's like somebody is turning up the volume and the bass and everything. And it gets louder and louder and louder. And suddenly you hear a bang that almost sounds like a bomb going off. Or like oh, my explosion. God, I get that. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, and then at that second, you wake up, and I tend to sit bolt upright. Or you wake up, and then you're paralysed. <laughs> if you have, But it can be really, like, your heart can be going, you know, 100 miles an hour. It's, um, But, yeah, that's what that is. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah, because I've always said to people, because the worst, obviously, you've been your, your husband for a long time, um, but... When I get into a relationship, or, you know, and I, you know, sleeping in the same bed as a woman or whatever, I, I generally have to be like, so <laughs> if I'm like crashing around in my sleep, don't like gently stroke me, don't touch me lightly. It's best not to come near me. <laughs> Maybe just like turn the light on, let me come round. Um, and also, I shout in my sleep, mm. and uh, like again, you know, have these horrendous, like you say, the the paralysis, but where something's like coming at you and you're panicking and trying to shout. I have a thing where I can't, my mouth is clamped shut mm. and I can't shout. And then when I can eventually shout, it comes out like this weird, like, and it comes out like really odd and it scares the shit out of anybody that's in bed with me. So I have to sort of give this whole, like, just a bit of a disclaimer. I'm not mental, but I will have some episodes from time to time. Yeah, I used to have to do the same thing when I was younger. <laughs> If I stayed over a friend's house, if like yeah. guides camping, um, even at uni, we went away on a writer. I was part of the writers guild and we went away on a writers retreat and I had to share a room with this girl who I was friends with. But I got I really freaked out and I kept seeing if there was a room I could stay in on my own because I get so embarrassed. 
<laughs> yeah, it's awful, isn't it? And it's because it's uncontrollable. There's nothing you can do about it. You don't know when they're going to happen. No, just uh, so yeah, but I'm sure there's some comedy in it somewhere. <laughs> oh, it's got to be, got to be. I've yeah, again, I've I've told stories to friends about it, and it's made them laugh. But I don't know how you'd how I would turn that into a, like a comedy thing. But yeah, maybe we come up with something together with our shared experiences. And oh yeah, yeah, no, that that'd be a good idea. I think you, there's definitely a way to make it funny rather than just absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember just one quick story. Um, I remember <clears throat> having this this nightmare, and I, and I woke up, and I was lying on the edge of the bed, and my head was just off the bed, and I I sort of had a bit of a shout. Woke up, and my my partner at the time was like, "You okay?" And I was like sweating and horrible, and she's like, "You're all right, calm down. It's okay. It's just a dream. Do you want to tell me about it?" And I was like, "No, it's okay." She was, "Come on, just tell me about it." And I was like, "Okay." From lying on the bed, I could feel something at the end of the bed. And there were these two little people, no higher than the bed, facing away at the very end of the bed. And I was sort of leaning over looking at them. And they were getting married. And my head was off the side of the bed. So I was looking at them kind of upside down. And then as I was looking, uh, the bed almost started to get closer to them. And their heads were turning around. And I knew if I were going to look at their faces, they were going to be all scarred and horrible and they'd gone through these like horrifying burns and and it was getting there and I could feel them turn around and then as I was getting closer they started to turn around and they started to go for me and they went to grab my face and I couldn't move my hands and it was like the worst thing I was like and that yeah and that was my and then I fell asleep and then I woke up the next morning and she was like I haven't slept all night you fucking arsehole I've just been (laughs) I'd given like nightmares because I described it in such graphic detail she then couldn't sleep Oh no! <laughs> she was like, "Don't ever tell me about your nightmares again." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I feel the with the uh, with the night terrors, but um, <laughs> but so less about embarrassing stories about me. So going back to you, so you moved down to be closer to the family in Pompey. When's this? How long ago was that? Uh, th- no, nearly four years ago now. Oh okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd been doing comedy in London just for a year. Um, and then I moved back down here. And then start gigging around here? Yeah. Just, well, like, straight into it. I met um, Matt Roseglade at a gig in London. And um, when I found out he was from Portsmouth, we sort of, like, connected on Facebook and stuff. So, yeah, when I came back down, just started, started gigging. Um and I've pretty much, I've played it pretty safe, to be honest. I'm, I don't gig as much as some people do. You know, some people are at it several times a week, but I'm kind of a slow and steady person. <laughs> so I tend to just do a few a month, mostly because I don't have a car and I can't always afford the train or the, <laughs> the uh, taxi. But I'll be doing gigs around here. But I'll do the odd gig in, um, like, Brighton, Horsham. I do go back to London occasionally. Um but yeah, mostly gigging around here. One of my New Year's resolutions was to try and gig more and gig outside of Portsmouth. But obviously that's um, <laughs> not really come to fruition. No. Um, yeah, obviously this year has been a bit of a write-off for everyone. But uh, but Matt Roseby, I need to get Matt on because he's name-dropped quite often as obviously everybody gets to get started. So did you do the Rose in June or the Fat Fox? He's got those two, isn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, the first one I did when I came back first gig I did was at the Fat Fox and I remember wearing an Attack on Titan jacket um and it was a really good gig and then I think the second gig I did or third gig back (laughs) remember the jacket you're wearing yeah (laughs) I did a um it was second or third gig back I did a gong show that PM Promotions put on at I want to say Drift no don't know if it was drift. It might have been, <laughs> um, but yeah, I did a gong show and I won it. Um, really? Nice. And I figured that's the point. I should have stopped. It was the first ever gong show I did, and I won <laughs> it. And since then, <laughs> I've not done so well in them. So I was like, I peaked too soon. So maybe it's <laughs> not not carried on. <laughs> I've not done a gong show yet. They seem terrifying. Yeah, that <sighs> I don't. They're not my favourite, not going to lie. I find it quite intimidating. Some people love them, but they're just a bit, um, yeah, 
I don't know. I find them a bit scary. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure my style would work because I take so long telling a story. Essentially, obviously, they always seem like it needs to be a bit more rapid to keep people's interest. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem that I struggle with sometimes. Is if I'm doing a gong show, I have to jig my material around to make sure I've yeah. got like the best bits in the first three minutes or whatever it is. And um, sorry, yeah, in the second three, for? but but yeah. Um, what other gigs are there down here? Oh yeah, but the Rose and June I've done quite a few times because that's the local pub for me. Um, yeah. Oh, you're close to the Rose and June. Yeah, very. In fact, my fr- two of my friends were supposed to be getting married this coming Sunday, and their reception was going to be at the Rose and June, but they've postponed till next year. And <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, yeah, no, I am. I am. That's a a very local gig for me. And then obviously the the PM promotion guys and and Dan Churchley um, with Solon Comedy. They've got quite a few running around Portsmouth, haven't they? Yeah, well, Dan's, the last gig I did before lockdown was one of Dan's, and it was in a pub round the corner from where I live, so very local, and it was one of the most eventful gigs I've ever been to. Was this the one that I was at? I've just put it on my Facebook. Is it the oh, British gosh, Queen? yes, that... of course. Sorry, I, don't, I can't believe I forgot you were there for a second. <laughs> That's how memorable my set No, was. I just, I couldn't. I was trying to think, and I, if I think about that night, I know you were there because we've got photos of all of us lined yeah. up. But the bit where, when I was performing and it sounded like someone had fired a gun in the other room and then a fight broke out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The, the highs it's of tough. comedy. I know, I know. And I, I obviously we're back there on the 5th of September for the outdoor gig that Dan Churchley's put on. Yeah. Um, so I posted, oh, this was the last time I did the British Queen. It's it's really good for anybody who wants to have a bit of banter with the crowd, la la la. But and then I realised in the video I posted, me and you, you're in the video the entire time because the camera goes across me and you're sat in the on the side where you were sat. And yeah, and they obviously were just chatting all the way through. And at one point you went, "What the fuck is going on?" I was like, "I don't know." I think, didn't I ask you in the middle of your set? I like put my hand up or something, and I asked you what's happening. Yeah, you're like, "What is happening?" I, was like, I do not know. It's um, yeah, it's that's an interesting gig. I'm not sure it's a gig I'd recommend to people who are just starting out or people who are nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no. and not at all. But if you're somebody who can just go in there and give as good as you get, um, and you're not put off by people talking or walking out in the middle, um, and some of the characters, then I mean, I just laughed all the way through because that's what I do <laughs> with, with situations <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going on the on the fifth because it's my birthday, so I will not be there. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, are you doing anything nice for your birthday? I'm going to stay with my dad in Dorset and we might go alpaca walking or um, probably more likely we might go to a cider museum. A, a cider museum? <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, but yeah, I've got a few gigs booked up now and it's a bit weird to have them on the calendar again. Yeah, I am... Um... My first one's at the King's Loft on the 3rd. I will see you there. Ah, you on it? Yeah, I'm there. Brilliant. Um, and so I, because like throughout, I've, I've written a little bit throughout lockdown and I've, I've got a new set to do, but I'm like, um, I'm like nervous again. And then on, on Friday, I've got to record for uh, anything funny doing a, a show on Friday. So I've got to record five minutes. And so that for me, is going to be my chance to kind of rehearse. I think I'm going to do loads and loads of recordings of this five minutes and then that'll be my rehearsing. But I'm like nervous again, which I almost had gigged the nerves out a little bit, if that makes sense. Do you still get nervous? Is there still like rising anticipation of a gig? Yeah, well, it depends what the gig is, I think, and what material I'm doing. I Because I struggle with anxiety anyway, Mm. in quite a bad way at times I can get to gigs and feel sick um and be shaking a lot and be really nervous um but I still perform which yeah I think is a you know I don't let it put me off but I've gone through phases with it where sometimes I can be fine for like six seven months and just as we were going towards lockdown it was getting really bad again 
Um, there was one gig I did at the Rose and June where I nearly didn't perform because I just wow. got there and I just couldn't do it. I, I felt so under pressure and scared, which is stupid, really, because I'm like, what am I scared of? You know, yeah, I've died. That the actual like, if you die on stage, it actually doesn't bother me that much. I'm not really sure what I'm scared of sometimes, but <laughs> having this time out during lockdown has helped me a lot because I've taken time out. I've written a lot of new stuff. I've been rehearsing. I've been rehearsing the shoe burlesque. Um, <laughs> Excellent. I've been playing my clarinet a lot, so I've got some jazzy bits to bring along to my comedy. Um, <laughs> I've also been rehearsing my lip syncing bits, which I think the problem is in Portsmouth, there aren't really many gigs that I can do that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, if you've got five, ten minutes and it's just like in a pub, it's quite difficult. I think that's why I do the shoe burlesque, because I can do a yeah. little bit of that stuff, but in a small space. Um, and it's just a few minutes worth. But yeah, having this time to write, rehearse, um, work on some meditation and and that kind of stuff has mm -hmm. helped because yeah I still get nervous but it does sometimes depend on the gig and what the audience are like not that I'm judging people but sometimes I will <laughs> I'll just get vibes off a room sometimes yeah no, that makes sense and so I mean on that note then I suppose what's what would you or what venue would you regard as as your safe space is like your home base, if you like, where do you like doing, where would you do all the time if you could? I'd probably say the fat box. Um, okay. Yeah. In, in terms of local gigs, the fat box or the, is it the atrium, which is above the fat box? Cause I did that one back in January and it was one of the best gigs I've done in a long time. Um, oh, okay. So those those ones here, and I will give one in London as well. Um, I'd say there's two in London. Uh, Heavenly Comedy, which is run by Jambi McGrath, who, uh, anyone listening to this, check her out. She's an amazing comedian. Um, she Her gig was one of the first gigs I did. I think it was the second or third gig. Okay. That one does tend to be comedian, just comedians in the room with a few audience, but it's quite a good workshop session. Um, yeah. And also uh, downstairs at the King's Head as well in London, because you always get an audience and there's kind of something there for everyone. But out of all of them, I would say, yeah, the Fat Fox is, is one of my absolute favourites. Because I think I also see you MC at the Dolphin. Right. Well, did I did it once. Um, I did it once in January and very much keen um, to keep doing it, obviously, because of coronavirus, that hasn't happened yet. But hopefully when things, uh, gigs start to get back to normal, I'm hoping that's something that I can pursue and continue with because I am quite interested in the, the MCing side. Excellent. And so what's the what's the future in comedy for you? Where do you want to be? So obviously I've asked a question of every comedian and some been like, I'm going to be a professional comedian. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Others have been like, I'm happy being a hobbyist. I'll just do it here and there. Where's your take? Whereabouts are you on that scale? I'm, when I started, I was very much happy being a hobbyist. And I'd say that I'm still there but I do have some ambition now with it. Um, I'm still happy to do it, yeah, as a hobby. Obviously, I'm not performing four or five times a week like some people, so I realise, like, in terms of trying to become professional, um, you know, it's more difficult because I'm not doing it as much. But I think I'd like to keep doing it as a hobby, but something that does grow I mean obviously this year I was hoping to be in Edinburgh right now doing my first solo show um so that's something I'll keep doing it as a hobby but I do want to continue writing shows um and entering not just Edinburgh but Brighton and, and other fringe festivals um that would that would be really nice you know if I could kind of do those shows and build a little bit I don't know if that makes sense but kind yeah. of get a bit more of a budget so I can do more of the cabaret side as well because that's what I I love doing the comedy but I also want to do more of the jazz and the, the dance stuff as well so I think that's yep. kind of 
I used to panic that I was getting too old for it, um, but I know I'm, I'm definitely not. I've got not years. Yeah, loads of time. Um, and then, so again, some of the other things, it's sort of a, a two-sided question. Has there been anybody who's given you the sort of best advice, a sort of mentor, somebody that you will turn to and speak to and, you know, rely on in the comedy world? And then also, is there somebody that you have seen during your time in comedy where you go, this person has got something special. If they can get spotted, they'll make it. They'll be good. God, well, that's a big question. Um, is it? In terms of, like, mentor side, uh, Jandy McGrath, who, I, who I've already mentioned, she she's kind of always there if you ask her questions. Um you know, it, whether you're you're performing at her night or if I sent her a message on Facebook and when I saw it at Edinburgh last year, um, she's very good for, for advice. Um, and then locally, again, you know, Matt Roseblade, um, always good for, for advice and constructive criticism um, and just kind of helping. And also uh, Sanjay Arif as well, for his, he's... Um, He's kindly uh, looked over my script for my show and, and has been chatting to me with suggestions. And so th- those are all people who I, I trust their um, their feedback and their advice and would go to if I had any concerns. Um, but I'm sure there's plenty more that I'm forgetting, but I'll just I'll, I'll be here all night. So those are like the first three that come to my mind. Um, and in terms of, of people who I think will go on to do great things... Well, you know, so what we did with, um, <laughs> it, it, rather than, or, I mean, if you could name one, then obviously name one, but also is there somebody when you're on a bill with them, you think, oh, good, I like this person. And then, you know, it might just be because they're good to have a chat or a drink with, or because you like to see them as a, a stand up and you think they're funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much a lot of the, the Portsmouth guys, to be honest, <laughs> if, if we were all performing together, then I'm, then I'm happy. Um, I'd say like somebody that I always oh god sorry this is so difficult <laughs> this is like a real oh, a real um what's the word trying to trying to get my uh my thoughts in <laughs> order here um, do you know what I like I like when I see that there's another woman on the bill that always makes me happy um, yeah and you know what old Ben you know Ben over on the Isle of Wight. If Ben's on Ben McLaughlin. Ben McLaughlin. I know that I'm I'm gonna have a laugh if uh, I'm gonna have a laugh if Ben's there. And I think I think Ben could probably go places. But I, I'd say that about most of my friends who do comedy, um, which I realise does sound a little bit like when I was complaining about London being a circle jerk. But um, <laughs> but no. And you know who else? Actually, I've got a name for somebody who I think would. I'd say Sanjay again. I think he he would definitely can definitely make it. I know he already is in in, in many ways. You know he's already doing great things. Um, but Hetty as well, Hetty Austin. Yeah. I think she she again is is somebody who I really want to see go on to do great things. She makes me laugh a lot, and if I see her on the bill, um, and, and the few times when I've seen her MC, I'm in a really safe, capable pair of hands. Mm. Yeah, I see Hetty uh, at the Alva Bank. Mm. She did. She did her bit down there. That was. Uh, she's very good. And um, yeah, yeah, I agree. She is. She is very funny. I haven't seen an MC anywhere yet, but I think um, I've seen Sanjay. But I've seen. I think in the same gigs as you in the British Queen and in um, the Dockside Club, where it was <laughs> maybe not the right. Uh, like atmosphere or, or whatever and Sanjay kind of he rather than doing a set he kind of just had a discussion didn't he oh that's why I love remember? it that's why yeah I like an See, that's where I want to be at I want to be someone who I don't let my anxiety get to me and I just I do occasionally do that I do sometimes just have a chat with the audience because I think as long as you're still funny and you're still like making everyone laugh I think that's so like it's quite warm um yeah. But yeah, that that gig was um that was a strange one. The best audience member was a dog, um an actual dog to anyone listening. <laughs> not, and, and I'm not trying yeah. to be derogative about anyone in the audience. 
No, yeah, it was a genuine. It was just an old couple in there and their um, Alsatian, wasn't it? Yeah, it was lovely. Oh, it was good. Yeah, it was good. But I thought it was something <laughs> I was going to say then on that, and I've totally forgotten what it was. No. What about that particular gig? Um, it might have been, or it might have been about performance styles or something. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and that's our hour, Ems. I mean, we're all that's a nice way to finish it. Just talking about all of our all of your friends and people that you recommend. Is there anything that you particularly want to plug or say? I know we're both going to be doing the um King's Loft on the 3rd of September, yeah. Down in is it is it South Sea Kings or is it Portsmouth? Uh, it well, I think it technically comes under South Sea, but it's yeah, Portsmouth that area yeah anyone could find it come along and see us and come and oh i nearly said come and have a look at emma's velocigina but that's not what i meant that's not what that's not what you meant like no <laughs> i don't know we've only got five minutes of that gig so i'm trying to think of how i was rehearsing earlier on today actually what i'm gonna do maybe i'll just do shoe burlesque for five minutes <laughs> but the only thing i will plug but there's no definite date or anything like that is um I'm hoping to start a comedy night at the Ale House in Fairham. Oh, I remember you talking about this before lockdown, trying to get it up and running. Well, yeah, it was going to be on April the 22nd. And then because of lockdown, it uh, obviously didn't happen. So hopefully towards Christmas time um, or early next year, I will have a night running. Perfect. Lovely. Well... I appreciate your time, Ems. Thank you very much for that. Always a pleasure chatting to you, but it's really good getting to know a bit of history, which I didn't know. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's actually, it's been quite the trip down memory lane. It's been quite nice. You, <laughs> you've actually, talking to you as well, has like really inspired me to go and do some writing and rehearse. And I also appreciate that you asked about the Me Too stuff um, and to know that, yeah, you've been listening and you've learned stuff as well. Like, this has been a really good hour, actually. I'm feeling good now. <laughs> Not just oh, the cider I've got either. I'm, I'm genuinely feeling good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I won't continue talking in case I ruin it. Then. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll leave. <laughs> Thanks, Enzo. I appreciate your time and uh, we'll catch up on the third. Yeah, see you then. Take care. Thanks for having me. Take care, MC later. Bye bye. Up next, we have the very funny, talented, comedic musician Rob Blind joining me, and I will ask him about his uh, Dirty Uncle song, and hopefully, he'll do that for us because it is my absolute favourite. So, join in next week for Rob. Mm-hmm.